Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax. It's Al Cole from CBS Radio, and I want to tell you about a Renaissance woman who excels at everything she puts her innovative mind to. And you know, I'm going to start it out like this. What would you say if I told you that I was going to introduce you to a lady who is a very successful business entrepreneur and a world-class creative force as a realtor, interior designer, hosts charity golf tournaments for wildlife, and is the cutting-edge author of the stunning Magical Forces Within? Well, Al, I'd say makes the introduction, brother. <laughs> I've just been dying to learn some of all of those things from somebody who sounds like a real magnetic lady. <laughs> well, you're in luck because not only can you learn about the fabulous life accomplishments of this woman, whose name happens to be Rhonda Grant, <laughs> but week in and week out, Rhonda will introduce you to some of the most exciting guests on the planet as she hosts her own awesome podcast, The Rhonda Grant Show on Contact Talk Radio. Week to week, Rhonda skillfully weaves the magical forces within her with the extraordinary discoveries in the sometimes ordinary lives of her guests who blossom before your very eyes through the guidance and know-how of such a skilled and sensitive host as Rhonda Grant. you got to check it out. Check out all the action at RhondaGrantAuthor.com. That's RhondaGrantAuthor.com. Dot com to witness the extraordinary discoveries in otherwise ordinary lives. And I hear some of you asking right now, well, Al, how do you know all this? <laughs> I'll tell you. It's because I weave some of the same magic on my own nationally syndicated show called People of Distinction. It's all about humanity at its best. Every guest with extraordinary things to say about the magical forces within life itself. Get it? So check them out. The Rhonda Grant Show, Extraordinary Discoveries in Ordinary Lives, and People of Distinction, created by me, Al Cole from CBS Radio, now hosted by my amazing son, Benji Cole. You can check out People of Distinction on Apple Music or email me for exciting updates on my music and my books, too, especially Romance for Women on Amazon. Email me at al at alcoholic.com. You heard me right. That's A L at A-L-C-O-L-E-H-O-L-I-C.com. And I really want to thank my CBS radio listeners for coming up with that handle, Alcoholic. <laughs> Seems like from day one, my listeners have been saying, Al, we love what you're doing there, brother. In fact, we're hooked on it. We're Alcoholics. So here we go in classic form with a swing of a golf club as she hosts another charity golf tournament for wildlife and another incomparable Rhonda Grant show. So all together, everybody, here's Rhonda. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show. Sometimes the universe has a way of placing people or obstacles in your path to help guide and direct you on your mission. Listen in as we discover the path my guest has traveled. Has she been inspired by a calling, crafted her journey, or a bit of both? I invite you to embrace the conversations and to use them to help you to recognize if this is happening in your life. Our guest today is Barbara Doust. Barbara is an author, inspirational speaker, success strategist, and business growth accelerator. She works with entrepreneurs and leaders who are not achieving their next level results in their business and life. She shows them how to become next level thinkers in order to improve revenue streams, 
grow their clientele, and increase profits. She inspires people to play a bigger game and break through their upper limits so that they can stop postponing the life of their dreams. Barbara is a certified thinking into results consultant with Proctor Gallagher Institute and the creator of the programs Discover Greatness Within, Your Genius Code Unlocked, and The Code to Success. Barbara spent most of her career in theater, arts, film, and television as a director, acting coach, writer, and producer. She now blends her 25 years of acting, directing, and writing experience inspiring people to connect to the best versions of themselves so that they can be the star of their own movie. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Barbara. Oh, thank you for having me, Rhonda. You're welcome. So with such a beautiful background, was there anyone or anything that helped you get involved in the theater and acting? Well, that's an interesting question because I always wondered myself and I always blame Shirley Temple. Yes, <laughs> good person to blame. <laughs> you know, because in my family, there weren't any artists. Um you know, it, even in from cousins to you name it. And my father was one of 14 children and my mother was one of six children and they couldn't figure me out. They, and I, I mean, I just didn't have any influence to, except for watching movies and uh, and fantasizing. So everybody was like, who is she? And I'd be <laughs> bouncing off the walls, singing and dancing. And I screamed. I think I was like, I, one of my earliest memories is at five screaming. I want to be an actress. If I can't be an actress, I want a doggy now, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then, I mean, I was just obsessed for some reason. And there was no, if anything, there was an influence. Um, there was more, you know, of, stop it, stop singing, stop, enough already. I mean, now I can understand that I must have been highly annoying on some level, you know, but I had all this energy. And I remember I had my parents sign a contract when I was 12 years old that for my 13th birthday, they would send me to acting school. And uh, they signed the contract and my 13th birthday came along and they forgot that they signed a contract. And I, at that time, there weren't any Xerox copies, printers or anything mm -hmm. like that. So I had lost the, the contract and they denied that it ever existed. So, oh. um, <laughs> and I tried everything. I went even in high school, I became, I, I formed the drama club. I, I begged the principal to, to get a, an acting teacher at the time. I, I begged my high school math teacher to direct a production. Um, and ultimately I ended up directing the school play, I think in, in my uh, senior year. And uh I mean, I was directing the the variety show and I was, you know, choreographing the can-can, but nobody, even, including myself, could ever figure out where the influence came from or even the desire. And I didn't have a desire to be famous or I just wanted to um, dance and sing and shout from the rooftops and I think just feel, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what... Having over the years discovered, you know, rather than um, judge myself for it or even judge actors for wanting to be seen or wanting to be loved, the other component 
that I discovered when I had an acting academy and was teaching a lot of other actors was that it's an addiction to giving permission to oneself to feel. Oh, and there's a, you know, just a litany of emotions that we can feel and more often than not, they're suppressed. But when we feel and let ourselves feel and live into our emotions and live into our feelings, we feel alive. And so it's an adrenaline rush, right? So I think that more than um, I used to maybe judge myself that I wanted attention or that actors need attention. But I really see it now that it's the opportunity to express and feel alive. And that's what you get to do when you're up on a stage, you know, and you can feel all the emotions and give yourself permission to do it. And the beauty of that is the audience gets to feel with you. This is why it's such a powerful art form. Mm-hmm. So you said something really uh, important there. It's an addiction to the permission to feel. So our schools, um, they really teach children to be the same, to learn at the same level. And um so what were you like in school? Did you just revolt a little bit uh, against that? Yes. You know, I was more of a, I was always a leader. I think I was four years old and I was a leader. Yes. You know? <laughs> and uh, some people might want to call that bossy, you know, yeah. um, but I was just very, very talkative. Um, so I had, I think at a very young age in school, I had a lot of influence but, and I, I somehow knew it, but I always on the side, always, always fighting for the underdog, always fighting for um, the person who wasn't popular. Let's say I was fighting for them to be picked or to get, you know, noticed, or I was always using my kind of leadership abilities to help other people not be measured against mm-hmm. the system you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was always, you know, I grew up uh, surrounded by uh, a lot of underdogs. My, my father was the superintendent of a huge psychiatric institution. And I remember in our, my teens, we moved to the grounds of this institution. So we had our home on the grounds, but I always grew up defending the other side. My father was French, my mother was English. So no matter where I was, I was like, if the English were saying something against the French, I was defending the French. If the French were saying something against the English, I was defending the English. And if somebody was to say something against anybody who was mentally handicapped, I was the first one to, you know, stand up and and say, you're wrong, you know? And um, so I was, it's like, I didn't win the trophies, you know, in sports, let's say for um, being the best forward, or I was always the one who was the, uh, most valuable player for supporting everybody on the team. Mm-hmm. And I mean, with your, the, the coaching that you're doing, I mean, it was uh, sort of built into you uh, even when you were young. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just, you know, I, I knew that along the way that I moved from um, acting and, you know, I had an incident happen in my life that was devastating. And uh, so I went behind the scenes. I was no longer 
this, you know, uh, a bold, courageous young woman who wanted to um, express herself so openly and publicly. And I made a choice, you know, in my uh, early, my late teens, early 20s to become a teacher. And, and that led to me becoming a director. So I was, again, put in the position of supporting everybody else to be seen and everybody else to be successful. Uh, And then I realized along the way, I had a lot of success, but I wasn't acknowledging it. And I wasn't having the monetary success that all my students and clients were having. And then I realized that for myself, it was very important to walk my talk and do what I was teaching everybody else to do. Okay. Okay. So how did you get from, um, how did you go from being in high school, um, doing the things that you were doing with acting and, and uh, plays and things like that to uh going down to the States and having a big acting uh, career? Well, you know, it's interesting because I didn't have an acting career in the States, but uh, I did, I was, when I was 16 years old, I was um, attacked and almost lost my life. And, Mm. uh, you know, I say almost lost my life. It makes it maybe sound more dramatic, but maybe I could say I could have lost my life. Okay. And, uh, and that incident is what catapulted me into hiding and the behind the scenes choices that I made. So by the, I, I went to um, university in Montreal and I was in the theater department and I specialized in drama and education and the department kept putting me into the acting program. And I kept denying that I wanted to be an actor any longer. And, uh, and so, and then I just took directing classes and, and creative dramatics. And, uh, and that's how I started making my living was as a creative uh, drama teacher. And, uh, but while I was at university, I met the love of my life at the time. Patrick, and he was in the theater program with me. And then he was American. And my being Canadian, what happened was when we graduated from college, he no longer had a student visa and had to move back to the States. So we were separated. And we made the decision that there wasn't at that time in Montreal, because we were in the middle of the referendum, and it was becoming more French, and he didn't speak any French. So we made the decision to uh, you know, look for a place in the United States that had a lot of theater opportunities. And that led us to San Francisco. We were, you know, on the fence between Chicago, New York, or San Francisco, but the weather in New York and Chicago, you know, definitely swayed us in the direction of warmer weather, which was San Francisco. So we went there. And while we were there, Um, in pursuing, you know, what our income was going to be and how to survive as artists, I became a California Arts Council artist in residence. And I taught, um, you know, I taught over 25 drama classes a week going from school to school to school to school. Wow. I was the only artist in residence in California in the Bay Area um, that was doing what I was doing. And I was also uh, 
working at the uh, Exploratorium Science Museum. I, there's that part of me that's a science geek, Rhonda. I just yeah. love science, you know. So, but I was going, you know, in teaching in classes, the physics of light and the physics of sound, but I was using creative dramatics and I was having kids act out atoms, molecules, and particles. And I'm sure they've never forgotten how a laser works, yes. you know, because it was in their bodies. And, and, Everything that I'm doing now has everything to do with emotionalizing a desire and a goal and pulling it into your body and moving it into application. Because I work with a lot of like PhDs who are stuck in their conscious minds, in their, you know, logical mind, and they're not in application. And I'm speaking to them at the unemployment office. Okay. So, you know, but then, so Patrick is the reason I ended up in, in this, in the States. And, um, and he was, you know, a, a technical director. And then in San Francisco, we formed a theater company and I uh, directed and we both produced um, many, many productions there. And the final production that I produced the success of that chapter in my life was that I had a show that was selected from the city of San Francisco to represent San Francisco at the Kennedy center. Excellent. Yes. But at that time, again, I didn't know the success that I was having. I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't feel it. I wasn't in the awareness that I am now. Mm -hmm. And was there anything that helped you become aware, more aware? You know, years later, Mm -hmm. right? Um, After that, I worked with, um, I, I thought, well, I'm going to go to UCLA and get my master's in directing because my theater company in San Francisco, I realized that here's the thing. When I was working at the, when I did the show at the Kennedy Center, the theater that produced the show, because I was working with other companies as well, paid me $400. Hmm. And I thought, and then, and while I was at the Kennedy Center, uh, you know, somebody from the National Endowment uh, for the Arts offered that theater a $25,000 grant. And then when I came back to San Francisco, they wanted me to direct their next production. And I said, not for $400. No. And then they, they said, how much would you like? And I said, 800. And they had to call an emergency board meeting and they came back and said, would you do it for 750? And I'm like, you know, something's wrong with this picture. I, I, I'm, I'm stuck in this struggling artist mentality, this, you know, poverty mindset, actually. And, um, and then I thought, well, maybe if I get my master's, I'll be able to teach at, in college and universities and have a nice, comfortable, stable existence, still doing my art. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, after graduating with my master's, I applied to over 250 universities and did not hear back from one. Oh, shoot. And it was a time when tenureship was, you know, very strong. Nobody was leaving their jobs and theater departments were also shutting down. And, um, but I was fortunate enough to be recommended and referred to um, apply for a position with the Olsen twins. And if, do you know who they are? Yes, I absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, They were on family ties, right? They were nope. the stars. No, nope, nope. They were on Full House. Oh, Full House. Yes, that's yeah. right. Full House. Yeah, yeah. And so I started working with them when they were seven, and um, ended working with them when they were seventeen. So it was ten years. I directed, but I was more their acting coach. And then I, um, 
formed an acting academy and worked with a lot of young professionals who are now big stars. And even now, when I reflect back on it, I wasn't teaching people how to act as much as I was teaching people to um, believe in themselves, you know, and to have a mindset and to be able to uh, not be a victim of somebody else's opinion of them. So I really rounded out a lot of my students so that they always, they, in any acting class, they um, rotated, they would have the position of being a director, an assistant director, the actor, the critic. And so they understood the role of everybody in the making of a production, whether it was TV, film, or theater. And so they had the perspective, instead of it being a myopic view of it's all about me, they understood the ingredients it took to make a good cake, right? You, you have to have all the right ingredients. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so now, you know, many of them are big um, movie stars or TV stars. And, um, and then I, so I worked with the twins, kept working with a lot of other young people. I directed the twins in a music video. Um, it was a time where I was paid half the price that the, the men were being paid who directed them. And, um, you know, and I kept going, something's wrong with this picture. Something's wrong with this picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm like, uh, well, you know, maybe I'm a victim of circumstance. Maybe I'm a victim of the times. And I bought into that. I believed all of that. And then um, I had a, a sudden tragedy in my life where uh, Patrick died suddenly. And uh, that was two months before our 25th wedding anniversary. And my whole life capsized. Oh, dear. You know, I I often wonder about um, why uh, people thought it was okay uh, to pay men more in in any industry than they do women. Yeah. And, um, you know, and and I think that women still struggle with that. Yes. You know, I really do that. um, And lots of times we don't know uh, that uh, we're being paid less um than their counterpart than our counterparts right and uh, so did you know how much uh, the men were making at that time yes and okay so it was half eh? yes. and so was it it's sort of like um is to to have that ability at that age because you were still young uh very young in in, in with what you were doing and uh do you feel that if you would have maybe made a stance like you did that you wanted the $800 um, to for a theater production at the Kennedy center. Um, when you said, you know, I want 800 and they came back and said 750. Is it that type of thing that you had to do? Or is it the whole industry had to evolve? I mean, were the twins being paid less than uh, somebody else on the show? No. And that's a really good question, you know, and um, just, to clarify, when I came back with the 750, it was no longer the Kennedy Center. It was um, the theater company that was invited to the, the Kennedy Center. Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I misspoke. Yeah. And and so their, um, you know, their budget was not a, I, I mean, I broke precedence. I made more than the any director who had worked at that theater at that time, whether I was a woman or not, that right. didn't matter. Um, but you know, it all goes back to one of your first questions, Rhonda. It all goes back to um, our educational system when we're young, when we're in school, when we're all being taught to be the same 
when we're all being measured against the same systems, when we're all being programmed to be part of the belief systems that existed at the time we were in school. Um, You know, education has changed and, but, you know, and teachers at the time that I was in school had a lot of permission to behave in ways that would not be permitted nowadays. Oh, I Um, know. Yes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And also even in the entertainment business, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot more rules and um, as a result of, you know, like the Me Too movement and many other things, um, but there's a conditioning and a programming that has been going on for centuries. And it takes it takes people to stand up and oppose the programming or to break out of, you know, the being a victim of circumstance or a victim of conditioning or a victim of programming. And the twins at the time were making enormous amounts of money because they were the commodity. Mm-hmm. And because they were the commodity, everybody was dependent. Everybody else's income and survival was dependent on their success. So they were paid quite handsomely and uh, and rightfully so, given that they had at the time that they were doing full house. I mean, their TVQ rating was higher than Roseanne Barr, who at that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, you I know, believe it. Yes. They, they were they were the stars and everybody wanted what they had. So, um, you know, and then it's it's really about like the art of negotiation. And this is why actors or other people, um, especially creatives, hire agents. Right. And yes. For what I was doing, there wasn't an agent for an acting coach. There wasn't a union for an acting coach. So I had to negotiate for myself the whole way through. And uh what I, you know, what I learned was that I didn't know my value and I didn't know my worth. And that's because I was a victim of a system that conditioned me to believe that I was lucky enough to even survive as an artist. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, um, and, and, and parents don't want to hear uh, that you want to be an, an artist or an actor or a musician That's or right. any any of those because it's only the cream of the crop that actually make it. And it's not maybe based on talent, but it's who you know and your connections and, and how you can make things happen. Um, yeah. But the last thing parents want to know is that because they don't want to have to support you for the rest of your life, right? Or the right. rest to actually be the rest of their life. Right. Um, so, yeah, so you're bringing up a lot of... Um, sort of touchy, painful subjects for some people that might be listening, who have dreams of becoming, uh, you know, you know, a musician or an actor or actress, and how do they do it? And who do they talk to? And is there even a chance that they might even be paid? Um, you know, and those types of things. Um, But you're listening to the Rhonda Grant show right now, whose podcast has been treated with digital audio health by Symatrax. And I'm speaking with Barbara Douse today. Uh, How may people reach you, Barbara? How may they contact you? Well, they can go to my website, www.barbaradoust.com, and um, they can book a discovery session with me to, to learn more about me, how I can support them. 
And also there's um, a whole list of my programs that I offer that they can click on and, uh, and learn more about the programs that I offer. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And we'll grab that again right at the end of the show, just in case someone didn't have a pen and a paper to write that down. So as you moved uh, forward, uh, you've trained to be a coach of business people. And so I'm just wondering how you've used your entertainment background to help your clients develop a winning image. Well, thank you. You know, I studied with many programs and thought leaders. And the one that impacted me the most was Bob Proctor. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's like now 87 years old. And, uh, just a, quite an inspiration. And, you know, going back to the Napoleon Hill, the Carnegie's, the Earl Nightingale's, all, all of those um, amazing uh, forward thinkers, you know, uh, uh, Henry David Thoreau and Henry Ford. And Bob um, has a program that I certified in called Thinking Into Results. And I've been, uh, delivering that program for like the last eight years now. And the difference that that made for me, Rhonda, was that, you know, just even as the artist mentality that I had, same with, you know, um, being a teacher or being a coach or being anybody who's in a service industry where you're using your gifts, your God-given gifts, whether like my God-given gifts are perception, insight, and intuition. How do you put a, a dollar sign on that? How do you put any kind of monetary value on that? How do you sell those gifts, right? And it goes back even into um, artistry. How do you sell those gifts? And once I started realizing that I just didn't have a money mindset, I didn't have any focus on money. And Bob really helped me move in the direction of, you know, it's, you, you know, money wants to be wanted. And when you, and it needs attention, just like you're giving your health attention, just like you're giving your relationships attention, just like you're giving your gifts attention, you know, money is just currency. It's an exchange. And what I've come to realize is that it's really a reflection of your self-worth and your self-value. So I tell people, I help them grow their self-worth to grow their net worth. And essentially, once they start doing the inner work, and I had lived my whole life seeking approval outside myself, you know, if, if I do this right, I'll get something here. And if I do this right, then this person, but it, it, it you know, it really doesn't work that way. And once I lost Patrick, I definitely went on a journey and, you know, and, and I broke up with a lot of my belief systems and I broke up with a lot of my programming and I broke up with all the, um, the lies that I was telling myself and it's become my passion to help people, you know, live in their truth and stop telling themselves the lies that they've been programmed to believe and to really own and be passionate about what they want and so I help people get clear on what they really want for themselves, not what somebody else wants for them, not what their spouse wants for them, what, not what their parent wants for them, but what they really want. And then to live from that place and design from that place using the power of the mind, because the mind is where we're tapped into um, consciousness and super consciousness, right? So that there is a, uh, a power that is greater than ourselves. And we're all tapped into that same energy source and to, and neuroscience is showing it epigenetics is showing it and spirituality, whatever 
you know, side of the fence that you're on, your beliefs are part of a conditioned program that are affecting and impacting your outer reality and your outer results, your habits, all of that is, it's just part of your own creation. And once people get clear and I help them get clear, then I put them into a program to design the steps to move forward, the plan, the strategy, and people don't make 1%, 2%, 3% growth results. I mean, I worked with a, an engineer at Dell computers and in three months, his results increased 170%. Oh, yay. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, it's, it's really when you start to break up with what you already know, I tell people, you probably don't really know who you are and you never really will until you find the parts of yourself you haven't yet met. Mm, You have some wonderful wording and, and and this breaking up with, uh, you, you know, your, the past you, um, because a lot of people, um, they might not feel that they're in, um, uh, an awareness that they need to be in. Um, you know what I mean? Like they need, you need to help them come into this awareness because a lot of people, um, don't realize that they've been conditioned. They don't realize that they, that their brain keeps on winding the same, uh, real every single day. I think it's uh, every day you get up and you think uh, uh, 80,000 thoughts a day. And I think uh, 70,000 of them are the ones that you thought about yesterday. Like there's no right. new, there's no newness going on. That's right. And, and I just, yeah, I just love what you're talking to uh, talking about. So, um, so you uh, ended up remembering your divine nature yes. along the way yes. and in breaking up with all those conditioned beliefs, the more you were able to tap into your divine nature. And you talked about consciousness, super consciousness, people know consciousness, they might not know super consciousness. And you talked about tapping into tapping into that higher level that's uh, connected to the divine connected to the universe. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. You know, once you, um, you know, it's, what breathes you is what I ask people. Yes. Yeah. When you're, when you're asleep at night, you know, and you, and then the subconscious is really running the show. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's also an unconscious, which is a deeper layer, you know, going into, I work with a doctor and we do brainwave frequencies where we induce states of relaxation for people to bypass the conscious mind, because the conscious mind is holding on to what it knows. So it's always coming from a place of the program it, it, it knows. Even if you hear an outside idea that might be, you know, mind expansive, the chances of you opening up to that new idea are going to be limited because the program is in a groove in the neural pathways and the neural pathways are just digging the groove deeper and deeper and deeper. And this is why, you know, thinking is hard. Most people would rather die than think because it feels <laughs> yeah. hard, right? Yes, but yes. the truth is that most people are going to their graves with their dreams buried inside of them and they're tiptoeing safely to death because being outside that comfort zone where the neural pathways are actually having to move if you do something new or different or strange, you know, but there is a way to 
allow, you know, through relaxation, through meditation, through um, listening, deeply listening to the way that you feel. And most people don't, you know, are, are allowing their negative states to impact the way that they feel rather than using a negative contrasting experience and looking at the blessings at the silver linings and helping them move to more clarity into focusing on what the good is. And, and so I ask people, you know, are you focused on what is working or what isn't working? Are you focused on asking, you know, you know, what's what you want, you know, versus what you don't want? Are you, in blame outside of yourself? And are you choosing misery? And it's really the biggest power that we have is to choose. And I believe that spirit, energy, super consciousness is coming to and through us at all times. We're breathing it. It's how can I listen to you? How can I speak to you? How can I speak to somebody, you know, in across the world? And it's all called frequencies, right? It's all called vibration. It's all called transmission. And so there's transmission that we have available to us. It's just whether or not we're listening. And when we listen, it's, I don't believe that there's a, a positive or a negative to it. I believe that we choose to place it in a positive place or a negative place. So it's our perception of an incident or, you know, the meaning that we give something or that we are already in a program and a belief system that keeps us focused on, you know, the, what we might perceive as the truth, because a belief is just a thought we have over and over and over again, that we accept as the truth. Yes. But once you reevaluate your belief, you might see that it's actually a lie. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's right. Right. So it's really taking the time to write things down so that writing is going to cause thinking. And the work that I did, you know, as an acting teacher and director, now I use it to help people design their own movie so that they are the star player of their movie. But it's really about who are you becoming? And you don't just put on a tutu and become a ballerina overnight, Mm -hmm. but you have to start by putting on the tutu. And then And you have to, you know, it's the opportunity to become the character. And most people will say, well, I'm faking it. I'm a fraud. And that's part of the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. But you don't become a great soccer player until you get out on the field field and kick a ball, right? And it's called practice. And in our four steps to learning, you know, it's really that conscious competence stage where you have to practice. And the only way to practice is by doing. So I tell people and I show people that you can be an actor and start owning the actor's concept, which is you write the script and then you practice the dialogue and it doesn't feel comfortable and it doesn't feel real at first until you do it over and over and over again. And then you become the thing that you are designing. And as you become it through practice, now you start to get more comfortable and then your outer reality starts to change quite rapidly. But, you know, I say, who who am I becoming today? Or who am I being as a successful person? Who am I being? What habits do I need to have as a successful person? What beliefs do I need to have as a successful person? And then what's the words, 
you know, that I get to use daily? How do I speak it into existence? And even if it's like a lie, it doesn't really matter, you know, to anyone except to self. If you're going to judge it as a lie, instead of saying, I am working, I'm putting on a costume and I'm owning the costume. The costume is making, and, and, and I work with people to put on different clothing, you know, different hairstyles, whatever it is to change what you already know. Because when you're stuck in familiarity in the comfort zone, I call it the scary zone because that's not the place where growth happens. It's not the place where change happens. And we resist change because it's uncomfortable. And that's what happened to me when I lost my husband suddenly. And then I lost four more people right after him. I was like, why is change so complicated right now? Why am I having such a hard time accepting that this has happened to me in my life? Why is, why am I so miserable? And then it wasn't until I started, you know, getting signs. It was a way to wake me up actually to, to listen to a different way of being. And a different way of being was really about not striving for success as much as being on a journey and loving, you know, the journey and coming from love and coming from joy and coming from a place of I get to choose. And so, yes, we have our down days, but there's always going to be, you know, the it's in the law of opposites, right? There's going to be the highs and there's going to be the lows, but it's Mm -hmm. how we react and respond to it. But I work with successful people who make million dollars a year and they can't feel high, you know, because they're still in a story of not deserving or that they're not enough. And so they keep striving for that pot at the end of the rainbow without ever feeling success along the way. And I can say that that's who I used to be. I didn't feel my own success. So it was never, you know, there was never happy about living the life that I was creating. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also think too, um, Barbara, that when people try something and they, they, they reach, you know, they, they get, have a setback. A lot of people, uh, they don't go forward because they don't know how to recover from that. That's right. And then they just carry that. And then they, they're afraid to try something new or even to go back to that because they, they didn't do so well, but they didn't have any help to how to overcome those obstacles. And, um, you have to make a commitment, I guess, to yourself, to your own life and to your journey and to what you want to do and what your body is telling you to do, whatever it is, whether you're it's a, starting a new business, uh, being an actor, an actress, um, and all those different things. So it sounds to me that your program is all inclusive of all these sorts of obstacles that can, um, that you can help people overcome these types of obstacles that keep them from self-actualizing. Yes. You know, Rhonda, it's funny because around week four or five people start out really, really excited and they start getting like some very interesting results. Right. And about week four or five, the paradigms, which are, you know, the old belief systems, the, the grooves and the neural pathways that are stuck in their ruts. And, um, you know, the, uh, the habits, the old habits that keep you in the familiar, well, they really start acting out. And about week four and five, I'm very busy helping people cross that, what we call the terror barrier. Okay. I'm helping people realize that, 
you're not getting, now you're starting to get resistance. And now that's a good sign. So when you have a mental attitude of seeking failure, that's when you go, oh boy, this is, you know, I just failed. Oh, good. Goody, goody, goody. Something good is going to happen versus the, oh my gosh, see, it never works. I have to go back to what I know, even if I'm miserable. And it's really to acknowledge that things that are going kind of cuckoo crazy or, you know, acting out, this is a good sign. And I'm telling you, the higher you go, the tougher the paradigms, they're going to be really acting out. And, you know, and it's like, just when you're having a great, you know, result, maybe your refrigerator, you know, is going to die. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it's kind of like, it's all designed in a way to stop you from change because subconscious mind doesn't like change. Ego mind doesn't like change. It goes into fear, fight or flight mode. And the ego mind, right. is just survival. And when you're in fear, you're in ego mind, but when you're connected to the higher parts of yourself, you're in spirit and that's called inspired. Mm -hmm. And from that place, you start to take inspired action, knowing that the resistance is necessary and it's testing you to break up with, you know, it's like, you know, breaking up with an old relationship. And, and I call it the battle between the old self and the new self. Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful way to put it, but, and also uh, the ego is keeping you from your soul's journey. That's right. Uh, The ego is the one who it's the voice in your head that you pay attention to. It's kind of like a roommate and they're not even paying you to be there. (laughs) Right. And uh, they're the ones that are giving you the doubt. They're one. No, don't try that. No, just keep us safe here so I can keep on telling you what to do. Um, And so we have to become gatekeepers of our mind and we have to, um, you know, shut the guy up or shut the gal up. And we need to uh, create our own journey. And um, and so do you feel that you've been called to your mission? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that um, it was always part of who I am. It just looked different. And, you know, now I tell people, I can show you how to design your messy and be in the intention of seeking failure, knowing that you're the designer of it. Mm-hmm. And I would not be able to tell people that had I not had those experiences myself oh, yes. and along the way, my messy and you know, it was part of introducing me to the calling of helping people live in their truth. And in my book, True Love, True Self, A Journey to Self-Love, you know, if somebody had told me when I was directing and working with the twins that I needed more self-love, I would have laughed. I would have gone like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I had lived my life more I I was always highly intuitive and empathic, um, but I definitely was on the hamster wheel of, you know, the ego in survival mode, um, even though I was being creative. But now I can show people having had all those lessons. I mean, even when I went to UCLA, my intention was to fail because I was a perfectionist and I knew I had, and I didn't even know this work, but I knew that I was called to break up with perfectionism. 
And Mm -hmm. a big part of my passion is helping people break up with perfectionism, but ultimately to let go of judgment, period. Let go of judgment of self, let go of self-judgment. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also of others, you know? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, and start there, stop the judgment of others, because, you know, when you, you spot it, you got it, you blame outside yourself, it's inside of you and you're only hurting yourself. And so, you know, it's in scripture, it's everywhere, you know, um, don't judge your neighbor. Just, you know, when I really, I had been trained as a director to be over analytical and over critical and to pick pieces apart. So as I kept continuing to pick pieces apart, guess who I was picking apart? Mm-hmm. It was just myself. Mm-hmm. And then that eventually led to, you know, um, defeatism, self-consciousness, perfectionism, holding myself back from really shining the light, you know, and that we're all here to shine our light. It's just to what degree, you know, what what's our voltage, you know, what wattage are we using? And, you know, and it's, I call it now the game of life and what game do you want to play? And so it's really the power again is our, our power to choose, but to choose and to choose as wisely as we can is to really align ourselves with the higher version of ourselves and grow conscious. So I, I say every year I laugh at myself and about, who I was last year. I'm going like, did I really think that last year? Yes, I know. Yes. Right. And it taught, it's called awareness, but how Mm -hmm. do you grow aware? If you're not seeking, you know, ways to grow, then the, but if you're happy with where you're at, I say, great, you know, do what you do you and, and be happy. But if you're complaining and you're not happy and your health and all sorts of things are just not the way you want them to be, then, you know, we seek doctors for our, our health. And, you know, a lot of the time that may not be the right direction, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of ailments has to do with people not uh, uh, being true to their, their selves. That's right. And living out the life that they're supposed to. That's right. And they have inklings, but they don't follow up on these hunches or these intuitive hits that they get. And so finally, they end up uh, becoming ill because they're they're not paying attention uh, to those subtle uh, messages. And sometimes when you don't listen to the subtle messages, it's coming back around your door in a different way. And right. uh, sometimes it has to do with your health, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, even like with the midlife crises, I even realized for myself that in mid forties for a lot of people is when they wake up and say, is this my life? Mm -hmm. I like to look at it that most people are living their lives as a shell identity, doing what you want, you know, what you think everybody wants you to do versus living your core identity. Mm -hmm. And that's aligning with your truth. Mm-hmm. And some people just don't know how to get there. They don't have a roadmap and some people need yeah. a roadmap. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where you're uh, going to, that's where you come in really is yes. to help people. It's a self-discovery, isn't it? Yes. It's and the, the inner game. The inner game. That's right. The inner game. What extraordinary discovery have you found in your life, Barbara? Oh, I've had so many extraordinary discoveries in my life, Rhonda. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, 
I could say that they're magical moments. I know that it's not magic. And from where I was to where I am, um, when I started this work, I doubled my practice, tripled my income in less than a year and have met extraordinary people along the way who keep lifting me higher. And, uh, you know, I live a, a wonderful life and there's room for growth, but I have discovered What's extraordinary with all of this work is my connection to joy and gratitude and love at a much higher level of awareness. Mm-hmm. And you can't put a dollar sign on that. No. And, you know, when you're doing what you're supposed to do in this lifetime, uh, everything else falls into place. Um, the clients show up, the money's there. It's, it's just, a, it's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's not without continued contrast. Oh, yes. You know, you know I keep getting, you know, contrast and, and keep looking at it and, it. and it says, you know, play a bigger game or and that's what I show people how to do. You know, it's uh, I show people how to play a bigger game and I'm always getting the message for myself to play a bigger game. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, how many people contact you, Barbara? It, it, I love listening to you talk about what you do. You're just a wonderful human being Thank you. Uh, with a soul center. And um, so how many people reach out and contact you? Again, they can contact me on my website, www.barbaradoust.com. You can book a discovery session and that's a complimentary discovery 30 minute discovery session with me. And, uh, you know, and I always give tips or gifts um, when people do that. So, and you can also look at the various programs that I'm uh, delivering. And I have the Thinking Into Results Mastermind Group, Discover Greatness Within, Your Genius Code Unlocked, where I work with brainwave frequencies and a doctor uh, who is a cardiologist, actually. So that's where people can find out more about me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Um, You've been a wonderful guest. I've loved uh, listening to you. And so thank you very much for being on the Rhonda Grant show. Thank you for having me, Rhonda. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant show, Sun on the Water, is composed and performed by my friend, John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant show author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thank you so much for joining in. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. 